Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Gosh, they're on fire. I love that so much. We are blessed, you all. Blessed to have worship like that. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think it's February 5th, but I'm, I don't know. How long was January? It feels like, like January the 42nd to me or something. Was, January, was it just me? January was the longest month ever ever. In the month of January, I had RSV, I had COVID, I had the flu, I had psoriasis, I mean, whatever, I had all of it. Uh, Winter just never stops. Oh my goodness, the groundhog gave us bad news this week. Um, Oh my goodness, it it, it seems like uh, the year is off to a rough start, but I am still determined, determined to call you into the best year ever. 2023 can still be the best year ever for you. And I'm promising you that, not just saying that. I know that this is true. We've been saying it now for, for the longest month in history. And today I want to close, the, the, close this series with, with one very important moment. So let me start back with what I've been saying from the very beginning. This is obvious to you. And by now it should be ingrained in your brain. Say it with me. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. I put that in a fortune cookie, whatever you have to do, remember that. It's the truest thing I know how to tell you, y'all. If nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. Now, I've been giving you five choices. I'm giving you number five, but I'll walk through them one at a time. First, do this first. Submit to God's purpose for your life. If you want the best year ever, whatever you want in life, it begins here. You have to surrender to God's purpose for your life. Some of you in the side of my voice have never done this. I'm not saying like you should come to church more. I'm talking about something that happens in your own heart when you recognize your desperate need for a savior. You realize that you yourself are not in relationship with God, that you fail and have failed miserably, that you need forgiveness, you need grace, you need a new start, and only Christ offers you that. If there's any way that you could have had salvation apart from his death on the cross, I'm telling you, it would have happened. If you could save yourself, you would have already saved yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't change yourself. That's why you need Jesus. And this is where it begins. You surrender to God's purpose for your life. Submit to God. Some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian since I was a child. Yes, I understand that you've called yourself a Christian for a long, long time. But that doesn't mean that you have daily submitted Submitted yourself to God's purpose for your life. It's not you, it's him. Your life is not about you, it's about him. And if you're thinking that you're gonna do your thing, you know, instead of God's thing, I'm telling you, that's not how it works. It's gotta be God's thing, not your thing. Submit to God's purpose for your life. Number two, you have to deny yourself. Jesus said, if anybody's gonna be my disciple, Let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Understand, it's not me. It's Christ, not me, Christ. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You have to deny yourself. The whole world gives you the opposite message. The rest of the world tells you to be yourself, celebrate yourself. You need a little more me time, the world tells you. They tell you 
It's all about you. Find out who you are. Be your authentic self. You were born this way and on and on and on. And that is not the gospel. It's not the truth. Deny yourself and that is the way to find yourself. Number three, you got to try something new. I know. I know. You don't want to, but you need to. You have to. There's no way that Christ can do a new work in your life if you don't want anything new to happen. There's no way. I mean, the scripture says if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. All things always becoming new. Christ is never in the past calling you back. He's always in the future calling you forward into something new. Always, always something new with this God. And if you will not try something new, you can't grow. You can't grow, all right? Number four, you got to try something impossible. Something impossible. I mean, it is a God that we serve who works miracles, a God for whom everything is possible. Now, if you're following a miracle-working God for whom all things are possible, then some impossible things should be happening in your life by just accident. Because that's just what God does. He doesn't have to follow the rules. He made the rules. You understand? Our God is an awesome God, and he's calling you into so much more. You have to trust him for more. You have to step into situations where only God can save you. Only God can make this work out. You put yourself in situations where supernatural power is required, and you will experience the flow of supernatural power in your life. Try something impossible. And then number five, here we go. Don't stop. You do these things, but then you don't stop. Studies show that the typical New Year's resolution dies by the second Friday in January. Typical New Year's resolution dies. You abandon it somewhere before the second Friday in January. Um, What's our problem? I, I, I could say that we don't want change, but I, I, I know that we do. I, I know that you do. You want change. And it's not that we don't hope for it, because I know sometimes we desperately hope for God to do something new, something big, something impossible. We, we want it. We hope for it. And nobody can say we haven't tried. I've tried. You've tried. But somehow when we try, it doesn't last. We just seem incapable of making changes that stick. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how to experience these things, to make these changes without stopping. I want to talk about what it is, whatever it is, that we've tried and then somehow failed I insist that you were doing the right thing, but you were going about it in the wrong way. And let's talk about how to fix that today. First Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. One verse out of an amazing chapter. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It's, it's the resurrection chapter. Uh, Paul is talking about the, the mystery, the power, the amazing miracle of Christ's resurrection and the promise of our resurrection one day. And with all of that, he brings it down to one verse of application, one verse here that begins therefore. So here we go, ready? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Y'all there? Did I talk long enough so you can find it? Let's go. Verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know 
that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. That word there at the end, it, it means empty. So nothing you ever do for the Lord is gonna come back empty, without fruit, without results. Nothing you ever do for the Lord is going to come up empty. Um, man was battling uh, crippling depression and anxiety, and it had been going on for a long time. This is a true story. Um, he really struggled. His life had become nothing more than just being in his house, uh, all the curtains pulled, blinds pulled. He, he just he sat in darkness, 24 hours a day alone. He was terrified to leave the house. He wasn't always that way, but he had become that way. Um, he called the pastor, uh, pastor, we, we, you come talk to me, I just need to talk to you, you come by the house. So the pastor went to the house, sure enough, man sitting in total darkness and they just began to talk. And the man said, pastor, I am miserable. I can't live this way any longer. I can't continue like this. And they talked about what that would mean and what change would look like. And the man was seeing doctors for medication for depression and anxiety and um, Nothing brought him any kind of pleasure, satisfaction. So after a long conversation, honestly, the pastor didn't have a, a lot to offer beyond what they had talked about. So he just said, but brother, um, just willing to, we just do something different with me? And the man said, I'll do anything. I, if something doesn't happen, I can't live this way. I'll, I'll do anything. The pastor said, how about you just spend a day with me? I'll come pick you up and you just hang out with me. Whatever I do, you just spend a day with me. It'll get you out of the house. And the man said, okay. I mean, that's one step. Just get out of the house one day. So the man agreed. They planned. They settled on a day. The day came. The pastor comes by to pick him up. Picked him up early in the morning because that particular day, the first item on the pastor's schedule was an early morning a breakfast meeting with some men from the church, like a, a coffee prayer deal. So anyway, pulled up, picked up the guy. He came out of the house. You could tell he was not happy. Uh, you could tell he was not into this, but he was coming. He got in the car, so that's a big step. Uh, through breakfast, coffee, the pastor kept looking at the guy, and you could tell the guy, man, he was sleepy, he was slow, he was not into this. So the pastor was a little worried that this is what the day would be like. But after breakfast with the men, they started making hospital rounds and visiting the sick, which is what pastors do. Uh, the man went with the pastor, and it was just amazing. As they started going room to room, this man just started coming alive, just coming alive. And so before long, even before lunch, this man was into it. He was engaged. He was talking to the people that they were visiting. Uh, one of the last rooms they were in, the man actually said, hey, can I, can I pray? And he led the prayer for the, for the sick person in the bed. I mean, th this man was coming around. By lunchtime, he was dialed in. He was energetic. He was smiling. He was very interested in every single thing the pastor said and did. They talked about the pastor and his ministry and if, is this what every day looks like and Anyways, great conversation. They talked through lunch. After lunch, they made some jail visits. If you've never visited prison, prison's hard, hard, hard visits to make. But this man was like a natural. He was talking to the men in jail. He was praying with them. The pastor preached and the fellow assisted the pastor. I mean, he was just on fire. After that, they made a stop at the funeral home to visit a family in grief. And again, this man was praying with the family. He was completely present, completely, completely alive. So at the end of the day, the pastor took him home. They're sitting in the driveway and the man just turns to the pastor and said, pastor, I just want to tell you, truthfully, I was not looking forward to today at all. 
I was dreading this, but I just want to tell you, I've really, really enjoyed being with you today. And, and I would say this is the best day I have had in a really long time. Pastor said, well, listen, it, it was my pleasure too. I really enjoyed having you with me. Um, but maybe we've learned something here. You know, maybe you're figuring out some of the things that you could do to help pull you out of your depression. The man said, wait, wait, what? And the man looked at the pastor and said, you're not suggesting I should do this stuff every day. And the pastor said, well, yeah, you said that this was a great day and that you really enjoyed it and that it was the best day you've had in a long time. I was just thinking that that you could have more days like this. And the, and the fellow said, no, 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 wait, wait, pastor, no. Today was not my, my real daily life. And the pastor said, well, but you said that your real daily life was making you miserable. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I, I hate my life, but you can't expect me to do this every day. And so the man got out of the car, shut the door, and went back in the house and resumed his depression. Now, True story. I, I know some of you are, some of you are thinking, okay, that story's a little bit extreme, and maybe it is, but do, do you not also, is there not a part of you that relates to that man? Because in your own life, haven't you sometimes like seen, like, like you sometimes know exactly the changes you need to make, the changes that as a believer the Lord is calling you to make, the things that would make your life the abundant life that Christ promised you? I mean, you can sort of know the kind of things you should be doing, but then you don't do them. And you know you could and you know you should, but, but you don't. Because honestly, you're just sort of, you've got your real daily life and you feel stuck in it and it's not the greatest life and some of you are absolutely miserable in your daily life, but at the same time, you don't even imagine that change is possible. You really don't want to believe that change is possible. Now, why is that? Why is that? Like I say, I would say it's, I don't know you, but my hunch is in the past, You've attempted to change before. You wanted change. And nobody can say you didn't want it. And you were hoping for it. And you tried. You really tried. But somehow, for all of your efforts, for all of your determination to turn over a new leaf, to start a new life, for all of that, it, it fizzled. It failed. You weren't able to do it. You, you tried. You started. But you stopped. And you've never really figured out how to change in such a way where change sticks. Now, this is what I'm telling you. You're doing the right thing, but you're going about it in the wrong way. Now, let's start here. We often attempt behavior change when what we need is heart change. That's two different things. Now, the, the world doesn't talk about heart change. The world talks about behavior modification. In other words, all kinds of ways for you just to learn new habits. But honestly, we don't learn new habits well. We don't do behavior modification well because... Our problem is deeper than that. You can work, you can try not to cuss. You know, you can, like you're working on your mouth and you're determined not to cuss and then, you know, your husband comes home and it, he just brings it out of you, you know? All of a sudden you're saying all the words that you were gonna quit saying and I'm telling you, behavior modification is hard because your problem isn't really a mouth problem, it's a heart problem. It doesn't come out of you because your husband brings it out of you. It comes out of you because it's in you. It's a heart change. It's a heart issue. So understand, when we're talking about heart change, now we're talking about God's work. Heart change is God's work. You can work on habits and you can work on your mouth and you can work on trying to you know, change yourself, 
but you can't change your heart and that's your problem. That's why when you try to make yourself better, you always end up going back. You can start a new habit, and honestly, starting new habits is hard. Going back to the old way is the easiest thing you'll ever do, and that's why you do that. Eventually, you just go back to the way you were because change is too hard. Because you're doing behavior change, you are not capable of changing your own heart. You need Jesus for that, all right? So what we actually need is spiritual transformation. It's spiritual transformation that we require. Heart change is a spiritual change. It's spiritual transformation. That's what we need. Now, this is not a typo. What I'm about to say, I mean with all my heart. And you need to hear me say it. It's spiritual transformation that you require. And for transformation to be spiritual, it has to be spiritual. For transformation to be spiritual, it's got to be spiritual. Now, I'm not kidding, but I know I'm talking to church people, and so you have a way of thinking everything you do is spiritual, and it's not. It's not. I know that some of you, and God bless you, some of you have, have, have tried to start new habits of reading your Bible or praying in January because I've talked about that, and God bless you. You jumped right into that. God, God, God bless you for that. But I understand, you can still try to do the right thing, but go about it the wrong way. You can even be trying something that would be a spiritual habit, but you're still doing it in the flesh. And if you're doing it from you, for you, understand, if it's not spiritual, it will not stick. It's not going to last. Real change is spiritual transformation. It's spiritual change. And it's got to be spiritual. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean what you're trying is spiritual. And just because you go to church, it doesn't mean that you're going about it in a spiritual way. Paul's promise here at the end of chapter 15 is, you know that nothing you do for the Lord comes back empty. Nothing you do for the Lord comes back empty. Now, a whole lot of what you've tried to do for yourself came back empty, and this is what I'm trying to tell you. You were doing the right thing, but going about it in the wrong way. You've never really figured out how to experience spiritual change, spiritual transformation. So what's that look like? My, uh, one of my favorite pastors, Craig Rochelle, says this. He says, real change requires a spiritual why and a spiritual how. So two things, in order for change to be a spiritual change, it must have a spiritual why and a spiritual how. Let's talk about the why first. What I'm saying is you have to connect the change that you're making with the purposes of God in your life. Connect the change that you're making with the purposes of God in your life. This is step one. This is how real change begins. You have to have a spiritual reason in order for the change to be spiritual. And this is the step that most of us skip. We want to make positive personal change, but it's not connected to God's purposes for us. It's just for us. Like how many diets have you been on when you wanted to lose weight? And exactly why did you want to lose weight? You wanted to lose weight because your high school reunion was coming up and you didn't want to go to your high school reunion and see all those people with you looking like you. So you wanted to lose weight. So that was your why, that was your reason, it was for you. Or you wanted to lose weight so you'd look good in a two-piece bathing suit or so that you could look cute on Instagram. <laughs> like, like that's your... 
That's your motivation, that's your reason. But understand, this is not aligning your purposes with the purposes of God. That's just you doing things that you wanna do. Now, I'm telling you, perhaps losing weight would be a really good spiritual step for a lot of us, but you have to understand that that goal has to be connected to God's purposes for your life. You've gotta find the spiritual why. Now, I'm a runner. Y'all know I'm a runner. I've been running for 34 years. I started running a long time ago. I've told you the story about starting to run. I didn't mean to start running. I didn't want to start running. Uh, it was New Year's Day. Jack Wright was walking out of the church. He said, you got any news resolutions? And I didn't. But for whatever reason, I said, I'm thinking about starting running. I was not thinking about that. I had not thought of I'm, I hadn't. I don't know why I said that. I don't know where that even came from. I had not thought, I'd, I hadn't thought about running in my whole life. But I said, I'm thinking about starting run. Jack said, I'll be at your house at six thirty in the morning. I said, why? He said, cause I'm gonna run with you. And I'm like, let's don't, no, no. Let's don't start tomorrow. Jack said, no, I'll be there tomorrow. Jack came to my house every single day for two years. I had to move to Louisville. I'm not kidding. He came to my house until I moved to Louisville. But two years later, having run every single day, I had established a, a habit that more or less has followed me through my life. Now, I say it's followed me through my life. There are seasons in my life when I didn't run much, some when I didn't run at all, um, but I've always tried to run some. It was a few years back, I'm getting up in age, I'm 57 now. Um, a couple of years ago, we were talking about starting the 9.30 service. And the question people were asking, I don't know how to take this exactly, people were like, can Pastor Tim preach three times a Sunday? You know, can he do that? Let's don't ask him to do that, you know, that's a lot. And then one of the guys in the church said, well, anybody that can run eight miles can probably preach three times. <laughs> and that connected with me. It connected. Because I realized, I, I've always known my body's a temple, and like a lot of y'all look in the mirror and think, you know, joke's on God, if this is his temple, you know, this ain't much. And my body's not much, y'all. I mean, it's, it is what it is. But that day, and it was a few years ago, I, I realized I really need to take care of myself because I need to stay able. I want to be able to preach every single time I need to preach here. I, I, I want to have that kind of strength and stamina. And I want to be able to do it for a long time. And I don't know how much longer I can do it, y'all. I don't know, 57, I don't know, how old is that? I don't know. Um, but I want to do it as long as I can. In the morning, I'll get up probably 5.15, 5.30, and I'm going to do eight miles tomorrow. Um, I don't do it because I like cold weather. Y'all know that, right? I hate, I'm in bed with a warm woman and I'm gonna get out and freeze and run. I, I do that now because of the Lord and because of y'all. I, I really wanna be able to do what I'm doing for a long time and for that reason, I feel like I need to care for my body. Does that make sense? Um, I'm probably not gonna sleep through a run anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to hit the snooze. I'm going to go. I'm going to stay out there. Last week I ran one morning. The wind chill was 14 degrees. Oh, I was talking to God. I was telling God, 
Um, but understand, it's a spiritual why for me now. And for that reason, I, I, I think that I'm not going to stop. You need a spiritual why, a spiritual reason. Well, Pastor Tim, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray and because you preach that, and, and I'm trying, but I have a, such a hard time. I've already quit. Well, just because you're trying to do something spiritual, it doesn't mean that you're doing it for a spiritual reason. For example, if you're only reading your Bible because I preached it and you feel like you should do that, so you're, preaching out of obli- you're reading out of obligation or reading out of guilt, that means you're only going to stick with it as long as that feeling persists. So if you're doing something out of a feeling of guilt or obligation, when that feeling fizzles, your habit will fizzle. Understand? You're going to have to connect whatever you're trying to change about yourself with the purposes of God in your life. You need a spiritual why. You need a reason that connects with God's purposes. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. On top of that, that's the spiritual why. Now let's talk about the spiritual how. First Corinthians 15, as I said, it's the resurrection chapter and it's amazing. Paul says everything, everything comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, if Jesus had not been raised, I don't have anything to preach. Like there's nothing to preach. I say the same thing. If it's not for the resurrection of Jesus, I'm wasting your time. You shouldn't be listening to me. If I weren't preaching Christ raised, then understand there's no gospel. There's nothing to preach. And that's what Paul says. My preaching would be useless. Your faith would be useless. All of this would be worth nothing. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus, which which is the supreme miracle. It's the ultimate display of God's power. God's power over everything, but of all things, God's power over death. Paul says in verse 56, 57, thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I don't have death to fear, do you understand? I don't have anything to fear. If I don't have to fear death, if I already know that everything ends gloriously, if I know that everything ends with victory, if I know that the resurrection tells me that this whole thing turns out you know, with victory and glory and hope, then understand, it changes the way I look at my whole life. So recognize, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 establishes the critical spiritual principle that it's the resurrection that brings power. The resurrection brings power. So all of the power that it would take to conquer death itself, the power that brought Jesus back from the grave, that's the power that's available to you every single day for your life. The resurrection brings power and Christ gives you that power. Most of my burden as a pastor is trying to speak to you and make you understand that Christ has so much more available for you. You do not have to live this life below the line of of the supernatural, below the line of miracles, below the line of faith. Do you understand? Christ is calling you into so much more. He's giving you all of this power. You have power. All right? Now, a couple of things. Stay with me. If all the power is God's power, then it's not about your effort. It's not about your effort. All the power comes from God. What you're adding is negligible. And I know you've tried, as we said, you have gone at it, you were gonna make a positive, permanent change, and you were serious, and you tried. Back to, I'll go back to dieting. You've been on the diet like in your early minutes, like you told people, like you told your family, if you see me, if you see me reaching for a little Debbie cake, I want you to smack it out of my hand. 
smack my, if you see me put a brownie in my mouth, I want you to smack it out of my mouth. You, said, you were serious, right? I had a cousin one time who went on a diet. She made all these signs. She made signs and put them all over her kitchen, like on every cabinet door. And on the fridge, this big sign that said, don't eat, you fat pig. That's what she did. Signs all over the, all over the kitchen, don't eat. I mean, she was, that's dedication. But you know what? Uh, do I have to tell you all this? If it's you and a, let's just say a bag of chips ahoy, and the only thing between you and a bag of chips ahoy is a sign that you made that said, don't eat fat pig. There aren't enough signs in the world. You know what I mean? Like you made that sign, you can unmake that sign. You know, you will eat your way through a bag of chips ahoy in no time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can't say that you don't try. I'm just saying that you're trying in your power and your power is nothing. You can't do it. If you could change yourself, you would have already changed yourself. If you could, if you could somehow release yourself from your addiction, you'd already be released. It's not in you. You don't have that power. If all the power is God's power, then it's not about your effort. Do you understand? Okay, so stay with me. If all the power is God's power, well, then it's not without your effort. What? It's not about your effort, but it's not without your effort. Notice what Paul says, again, verse 58. Dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. The word that work enthusiastically, New Living Translation. If you got the King James, it says you got to abound in the work of the Lord, abound. It's a word that has to do with like bounty, with, with abundance. In other words, you got to go above and beyond. I mean, Paul's talking here, you're going to go at this like you're killing snakes. You know what I mean? Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. I figure you've probably closed your Bible. I put it on the screen here. Notice what Paul says. Whatever I am now, it is all because of God's grace and his grace toward me was not without results. Same word. Like in 58, when he says, nothing you do for the Lord is going to be without results, is going to be going to come back empty. Same word. God's grace toward me was not, it didn't come back empty. It's had results. Now go on. For I worked harder than anybody. I worked harder than anybody, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Understand that. It's kind of a paradox. It's not your power, it's God's power, but God's power working through you, which means you still gotta work. It's gonna be work. All the power comes from him, but you're gonna have to get out of your chair. You're gonna have to be willing to step into situations where supernatural power is called for, and then he provides all that power, but you've still gotta be willing to step into the obedience of it. It's work. Paul says, I worked harder than anybody. It really wasn't me. It was God working in me, but it was still me breaking a sweat. It's going to be work. I want you to work enthusiastically, Paul says, for the Lord, abounding in the work of the Lord. You're going to work. You're going to go above and beyond. You're going to go at this like you're killing snakes, Paul says. I mean, what? What's the New Testament say when it describes the Christian life? Paul says in another place, I fought the good fight. It's like fighting a fight. Have you ever actually been in a fight? I'm not talking with your sister. I had a sister all my life I had to fight. You know, I had an older sister, you know, who was determined, you know, to 
keep me in my place. Um, so I fought her, but I'm not talking about her. You ever like in a real fight? Like a TV movie fight, you know? I was in one real fight on the school bus as a kid. I think it, it maybe lasted seven seconds because I got in that fight and instantly I was so exhausted. Y'all know, y'all know about a fight, like a real fight, like to the death fight, like on the school bus? It's exhausting. Seven seconds in, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? You, you know, how, how do we just, can we just stop? You ever really taken a punch? Like, have you taken a punch? Like, ever, anybody just haul, I mean, I, you've seen it in movies, you know, poof. anybody ever just hit you in the jaw? Like, one day driving, I don't know what I was doing, I was going to reach over and get something, but I accidentally, like, hit myself in the nose. You ever just bumped your nose like that? Uh, my eyes were watering. I mean, it hurt so bad. I was driving off the road. I mean, you know, just barely bumped myself. Have you ever just been socked in the nose? I mean, like on Yellowstone, all the cowboys fighting and just peeing, spit out their teeth. Have you ever had a tooth knocked out? I mean, you know, I mean, I be, I be, you have to lay me, y'all be carrying me out. And Paul says the Christian life is this fight. The word he uses there when he talks about what you do for the Lord, it really comes from a Greek word that means to take a punch. You're going to take some punches for the Lord and you're going to feel it. I mean, this is the Christian life. It's, it's fighting a good fight. In another place, Paul says we're all like athletes in training. He says we're going to run the race. Like you're going to have to run a race. Like some of you right now, if I said, hey, run down here to these steps, you'd stop in the middle like, <sighs> you know, like have you ever had to just had to run? Because Paul says we're going to run to the finish. And you're not there yet. But you'll finish, I mean, that's the promise of the gospel. You're gonna finish this race as long as you don't turn back. But when you run it in your own strength, when you run it in your own power, you're gonna poop out every single time. The power comes from Christ. Paul says it's that power working in me, but I still worked harder than anybody. Understand, the spiritual change that you're seeking It's gonna have to have a spiritual why and a spiritual how, and I'm telling you, the how is always the power of God working in you. You've got to learn how to trust him and not trust yourself. So so what's that gonna look like? Uh, A couple of things, I'll be done. Um, You're gonna have to pour out your life for Jesus. I mean, you're gonna have to pour out your life for Jesus when Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. I mean, some of you are immovable, and that's the problem. Stubbornness can be a really good thing. It depends on what you're stubborn for. When Paul says immovable here, he means that in a good way. Some of you are immovable, but not in a good way. The hardest thing I do is try to preach and move some of you because you don't move. You're not listening. You're not changing. You're not interested. I mean, I can't look you in the face. I mean, some of you are sound asleep. I can look you in the face and know, but... I, I don't know your heart, but you understand what I'm saying? When Paul says you gotta be strong and immovable, he's not talking about like that. It's a made up mind. I've made up my mind that I'm gonna serve the Lord and I don't care what it costs me and I don't care what other people do. I'm serving the Lord and I'm gonna follow him and I'm gonna die for him and I'm telling you, I'm not turning back. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, but that doesn't describe most of us. It doesn't describe most of us. You gotta pour yourself out and then you gotta give him everything you got and then draw up on everything he gives you and see, that's the key. 
That, that's the key. Lots of us, like, we give what we've got and then we quit, but we never get to that point where we begin to draw up on everything he gives you. I mean, Christ is going to provide everything you need to live the life that he has for you, to fight the fight he has for you. He's going to provide the faith. He's going to provide the, the power. He's going to provide the patience. He will provide all of it, but that's not the life you live. Be honest. It's not the life you live. Some of you do not pray. Honest, I can't look you in the face and know, but I know that some of you do not pray. I'm not saying that you don't bow your head when grandpa says the blessing at Thanksgiving. I know you pray then. And I'm sure that when in church, when they say every head bowed, every eye closed, you probably bow your head, but you don't pray. You go through an entire week and you don't pray. You have not got on your knees and prayed, some of you in your life, or some of you in years. You don't pray. You just don't. And let me just say to you, if whatever you're calling a Christian life, if you live your Christian life and it doesn't require prayer, I wouldn't give you a nickel for what you call your Christian life. If, if nothing in the way you're living requires you to go to the feet of the master and, and beg for strength, beg for power, if, if nothing in your life sends you back to Jesus in prayer, I wouldn't give you a nickel for what you call your Christian life. I mean, what is it? I mean, just coming to church, hearing me talk, I mean, God help you, that's not any kind of party, but it's certainly more, I mean, Christ certainly has more for you than this. If whatever you call your Christian life, if it doesn't require you ever to, to come and read the Bible like for yourself, I'm not talking about having a Bible on your nightstand or in your underwear drawer. I'm talking about a Bible that you live your life out of its pages. If whatever you call the Christian life doesn't send you running to the word of God for nurture, for, for strength, for power, for wisdom, I mean, if you don't want God any more than that, I wouldn't give you a nickel for what you call your Christian life. I don't even know what you're talking about. Give him everything you got and then draw upon everything he gives you and then do whatever he asks, whatever it takes. Whatever he asks, whatever it takes. To be honest, coming into this series, this is what I feel like the Lord was telling me that that our church is supposed to be a whatever it takes kind of church. That's mission one, a whatever it takes kind of church. And we're not, we're just not. We need to be, but we're not. Some of you say, well, Pastor, that sounds good. I, I, I want our church to be that too. And, and here's what you have to remember. We are the church. You are the church. And if you're not a do whatever he asks, whatever it takes kind of person, we're not going to be a do whatever he asks, whatever it takes kind of church. You are the church. I am the church. We're talking about change. Something has to change in you and in me. And I know that you want it, and I know that you've hoped for it, and I know, I know that sometimes you've tried. I'm just saying you went about it the wrong way. It's not just behavior change, it's heart change, and only the Lord can change our hearts, and then only when we give our hearts to him in full. So understand, if you keep doing what you're doing, you will keep getting what you're getting. Pray with me.